Well, it's more, we're going to be back in Psalm 107. We're going to look at the first part too, but it's just going to be a part of it. Kind of going to do the message I had last week. A whole different message came out last week, whether y'all noticed or not. But uh, something interesting in studying this, you know, the Psalms, they stand alone. They're songs written at different times by different people. But I want to show y'all something. This is just a little inside baseball. Look back at uh, Psalm 104. These psalms are all about praising God, the way, the way they're set up here. But uh, Psalm 104 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. He said, Who coverest thyself with light as with the garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh his clouds, made a cloud his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh the angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. Look at verse number five, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed. Now, if you were thinking of books of the Bible, what book would you think of? If you were thinking of books of the Bible, what book would you think of? Genesis, the creation. Look at uh, Psalm 105. I'll just hit some things here because it's, it's all throughout. But it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Look at uh, verse number six. Oh, ye seed of Abraham, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He hath remembered his covenant forever the word which he commanded to thousands of generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac. You would see Genesis there again, right? With Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And uh, saying unto thee, I will give thee an inheritance. Um, Then verse 23, Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham and he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. What book of the Bible do you see there? Exodus. So you've got creation, Genesis, Exodus. And then uh, Psalm 105, Genesis to Exodus. And then Psalms 106 is a little bit different. But, you know, as the Bible goes, you have... You have the founding or the, the, the beginning of Israel, of the Jewish people, and as it goes through, they, they go into Egypt, and then the Exodus, they get out of Egypt, and they come into the promised land. They receive the promised land, and they have it for a long time, and then you've got 1 Kings, 2 Kings, this is all free. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, right? All that talks about the kings. And when you read those, when you read those four books, they're kind of parallel. One talks more about Israel, the other one talks more about Judah. But they they run kind of parallel. But they talk about these kings that come up, and some were right in the eyes of the Lord, and some did wrong in the eyes of the Lord. They committed the sins as sins as their father Jeroboam, it goes way back, or some followed the Lord. His heart was right with God, as as was his father David. And uh 
more and more of these kings get away from God like in Israel. And then the Lord sends them into captivity. They go into captivity. In other words, Babylon comes in and takes them and scatters them among Babylon. Takes them out of Jerusalem takes them, and takes them from being a nation, but scatters them among the people. So that they'll just dissolve into being Babylon. And then Persia comes and conquers Babylon because God doesn't let anybody, even though he sent Babylon to punish Israel, he didn't let them, you know, forever have that. Persia came in. And, uh, but he did that. He allowed that because of their sin. So you look at Psalm 106. He said, praise you, the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Verse number three, blessed are they that keep judgment and he that doeth righteousness at all times. There's a blessing for those in the Old Testament. Over in Deuteronomy, he told them, if you you do well, if you follow me, I'll bless you. Your crops will produce. He'll, He'll give them a physical blessing. But if they do bad, then he'll allow the other nations to persecute them. But, uh... Let's see. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. And then verse number six sets the tone for 106. It says, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea even at the Red Sea. You remember when they had the Red Sea in front of them, they said, he's brought us here to die. And uh, it goes through all of the different sins of Israel. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered the enemies. There was not one of them left. And they believed, then believed they his words. And they sang his praise. And that was the song of Miriam on the other side. Uh, I can't remember the chapter. And the waters covered us. Verse number 12. Then believe they his words. They sang his praise. Verse 13. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. That was when they said our soul loathes this light bread, when they, were, when they were getting tired of eating the manna from heaven that they were going out and picking up. They, they'd been eating that manna for a while. They said, we, we're, we're tired of this light bread. We want flesh to eat. God said, well, I'll give you flesh. And then the quails fell down. And then uh, it said, he gave them their request but sent leanness unto their soul. You know, sometimes, and, and this is kind of what I'm going to do in 107 here, we're going to talk about it. We're just going to kind of go by verse by verse. But uh, sometimes God will give you what you think you want and you realize it wasn't really what you needed. Sometimes he'll, he'll give you what you think you want to get you in a spot where you say, well, that, that, didn't, that really wasn't good for me, was it? But uh, they envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan. So you have the sins of Israel in Psalm 106 without going through the whole thing. And he goes through their unfaithfulness. Uh, let's see. 
verse, 20, verse 22, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Verse 23, had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. It's like jumping way ahead to see them get scattered into the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. Then stood Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And I won't tell you what happened there. You can read about it over in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 25. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sake. That's where Moses struck the rock instead of talking to the rock. He got mad. Must we, you know... uh, must we draw water from this rock? He just, he forgot all about who was in charge and what he was supposed to do. Because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. So God had judged them and allowed them to be taken. They had a nation. They had the promises that God had given them. They, they had come into the promised land, and they, they, were, they had started out under God's rule. When you read the book of Judges, and, and God was over the nation. I'm just kind of doing a recap here. I just found it interesting as I was studying and see 105, 104, 105, 106. But when they come out of the nations, then you have 107. You have the Persian king that allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. Is everybody following me on this? I start to see eyes rolling. Now you're going to wonder who was rolling their eyes. I won't tell you. It might have been somebody in my head. But uh, in Psalm 107, they come back. And Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So I I read you all that and and give you a context. They're they're captive to these other nations. And and you kind of have a picture of it with Nehemiah. When he hears about Jerusalem and the gates are torn down, the, the, the walls are torn down, the gates are burned with fire, and it breaks his heart to know what's happened to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was where you worshiped God at that time. God had set it up so that in that temple that Solomon built, he would be worshiped. And Nehemiah, hearing about Jerusalem and the state of it, it broke his heart. And he prayed to God and he repented. And... and uh, he was to go before the king, and he, you didn't want to look sad in front of the king. And when the king saw his countenance, he said, why are you sad? And he prayed a quick prayer, we call it the Nehemiah prayer. That's the prayer you pray in the moment. Lord, help me say the right thing. And then Nehemiah unloaded his heart a little bit. And the king said, what do you need to go back? He sent him a letter. He sent him with a letter to get supplies. He, he sent him with papers saying, you know, you're, you're there for me. Gave him a set time, and 
And Nehemiah, I think, cut the time in half, but they, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They, they, were, they were going back into Jerusalem. There was a lot of opposition. It wasn't easy. You read Nehemiah. But so here they are. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, I don't know exactly when this psalm takes place, but I'm told that's kind of the context of where we are as they get to go back into the land. And then verse number two sets the tone for the whole passage. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed for the hand, from the hand of the enemy. Now, Psalm 107 is all about giving God the glory. We look back on our own lives. There's been times you get away from God. There's been times when you've served God on your knees. And there's been times when you've been delivered. I'm saying there's been times because you're human. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's been times and there's been times in everyone's life when they've been out of God's will before they even knew Christ. And, and you come to a point, you look back and realize what God delivered you from. And that's the tone of Psalm 107. It's looking back and giving God the glory for what he's delivered you from. Now over here in verse number three, it says, And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Now, in the historical sense, when they came back out of the land, they had no home. The Jews had no home. Just like in before 1917, before 1948, the Jews didn't have a home. They were scattered throughout, and they're brought back from all the lands. Also, there's a spiritual sense to this. Those that don't know God... They have no home. They only have a destination. See, we have a home. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We have a home. We have, a, we have more than a destination. We have a home waiting for us in glory. But they're out there in the desert and they're spiritually dry. And, you know, that's where the sermon went last week on spiritually dry because there's a lot of people that are looking to fulfill that spiritual need in their life. And they're looking all kinds of other places. You can listen to that online. I think we made it online with that one, did we, Matt? You can listen to that one online and that goes on on about that. And, And by the end of that sermon, you might have been trying to figure out what the whole point of it was. I don't know. But people run spiritually dry, and God's the only one that can supply you that water. You remember he told the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he said, I'll give you the water to drink. You'll never thirst again. Oh, we see that picture all through the Bible. That rock that Moses struck and didn't speak to, he was to strike it the first time, just as Jesus was struck on the cross. The second time, he was to speak to it. You know how you get saved? You ask the Lord Jesus. You use your words, and you commit your heart, because it's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. And then look at verse number 6. You're going to see this pattern throughout Psalm 107. You see the problem that's laid out there in verses 3 and 4, and then 5. 
And then you'll see a petition. It says, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Praise God for the times when he puts us on our knees so that we look up. I think there's going to be a time where this nation is on its knees looking up. I think it's very timely that, that, you know, it occurred to me while we were doing Sunday school. And it's like, well, you know, does it would y'all would you guys like to learn how to witness to other people? And at the time, you know, learning how to witness, it's a good thing, right? Learning how for witnessing to become a part of you when you're having a conversation and you can you know that you can lead someone to the Lord or you can at least point them in the right direction. And so the materials come in and I realize there's going to be a lot of people looking to the Lord. Whether you know it or not, there's going to be a lot of people turning to the Lord. I know the nation looks evil. I know it looks wicked. But there's going to be people. There's always a remnant, no matter what. We've been through all kinds of stuff. We've been through World War II, World War I. We've been through the Civil War. We've been through all kinds of stuff. And each time before that takes place, there's been a revival before that war. And there's, there's people that cry out to God during that time. But then... So they cried, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And look what it says here. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a habitation. He led them forth by the right way. You know, they cried out to the Lord when they were in Egypt. They called out to God. They said, you know, please deliver us from this bondage. They called out to God when they were in captivity in Babylon and Persia. Down, I call it the other end of the Old Testament. I see the Old Testament in sections, but they called out to God and God sent Moses. Forty years, Moses was on the backside of the desert. He, he had, the time was right. Moses was no longer a man that said, I can get this done. Moses was a man that said, Lord, there's nothing in me to do this. And God said, I'm going to do it through you. We don't have to go into details about that. You can read that over in Exodus chapter number four, three or four, three and four, even both. But uh, and hopefully you're reading your Bible. If you don't know about it, we've got a challenge this year. You read through your Bible. And if you're behind, you can catch up. Read through your Bible this year. And then we're going to give you something at the end of the year. New car, new house, I don't know. I know what it is. I can't help but be funny, even when it's not funny. A pen. You're going, we're going to give you a pen. It's a nice pen. Lighthouse used to do it, and, you know, I kind of liked it. But, uh, and he led them forth by the right way. You know, in the Bible, there's only one way to get to heaven. Over there in John chapter 14, where he told us about those mansions, he, said, he told them, where I go, you know, and the way I go, you know. And Thomas, never one to, never, never one to sit down. He, he was the guy in the room, like, kind of like Peter. He's the kind of guy in the, the, biz, the meeting at work that you were kind of grateful for, although you hated it when he spoke up. Because he, he might have said something that was on your mind, but you were smart enough not to say it. And Thomas said, Lord, we, how do we know the way? Jesus looked at him and said, in verse number six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right to man, but the, but the end thereof is destruction. 
The Bible also talks about straight as a gate and narrow as a way, and few there be that find it. So there, there is a way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And so many people say, oh, there's this way, there's that way, there's the other way. When we go through these classes on witnessing, you're going to know how to show somebody that this is the only way. They're going to know. I'm not trying to, I feel like I'm trying to pitch it. I am. I want you all to show up for Sunday school. Amen? Uh, and I think it would be beneficial for us. I'm not going to send you out two by two. If you want to go two by two, I mean, let's do it. But uh, in your conversation with people, to be able to speak about salvation, wouldn't you like to be able to lead someone to the Lord? But he said, uh, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus healed 10 lepers, it wasn't too long ago I preached on that. He healed the 10 lepers. He told them, go and see the priest and bring your offering. And while they were on the way, they looked down and they were clean. And I imagine they had clean baby skin. I I imagine there's a lot of women in Hollywood that would have been jealous of the transformation that took place when they were headed that way. And they look, and the other men, for whatever reason, and everybody's got a reason, but they headed on to the priest. They headed on to their life. They headed on back to see that person they hadn't been able to see. They, they, all they could think about was what they were going to do now that they were healed. And one man said, wait a minute. I don't care what's ahead of me. This is a man that healed me. And they come out of this desert, out of this thirsty place. They were down, you're in the desert and you cry out. I've watched, well, Dee Dee's watched, so I can't hardly stand it. I survived. You ever watch that? Okay. I survived. The, the people tell their story. They were, they were driving through the desert. A car broke down and, and there's a little bit of water. And, and somebody refused to drink the water out of the pond, or, or they did. or You know, it was just that one thing that made a difference to them being there in that last minute that the other person didn't do, and they're in there in the last minute. And when you're, when you're at that spot, and you're crying out to the Lord, and you're just ready to meet him or whatever, but you cry out to the Lord, and somebody shows up. Some people say, whew, they showed up in time. Man, that was fortunate, and they go on about their way. They're part of the nine lepers that were healed and went on about their life. The one leper turned back. He turned back to Jesus Christ. And here in the Bible, it says, verse number seven, verse number eight. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Now, when you get into the history books, he's looking at them coming back to Jerusalem and he's like, God's the one we need to give glory for this. You're walking these streets of Jerusalem right now that you couldn't walk before because God laid it out, because God set it up. And he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Now we go to the next part. And he begins to talk about another group of people. Those that are in darkness and in bondage. And he says, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the castle, a council of the Most High. 
Then he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Notice one thing. They're in bondage. They're in darkness. It's their own fault. They got in that position on their own. There are people that get into jail and they say, well, I'm not going to be a jailhouse conversion. And they go on, they don't turn to God. But there's other people that get in there and they'll get made fun of. And some people just make it up, try to get good time off for good behavior or something like that. But there are those that get in there and get in jail and say, you know what? It was a lot better in my father's house. I remember when I was in church with grandma And I remember those feelings. I remember singing those hymns. And I remember sitting there in church next to grandma. I remember sitting in church next to mom. And I remember being there. And I remember how good it was to be hearing God's word. And they get in jail. And they've gotten off track. And they've, they've gone down a darker path. You know, it's a funny thing that most sin takes place at night in the darkness. There's another thing. There's a spiritual darkness that people go through. You get away from God and God will close that book to you. You get away from God and he will turn your heart to stone. And, and, and you'll wonder how you get back to that spot. But it says they're in, in darkness and in bondage. Uh, in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. When you see iron in the Bible, you can think of judgment. God talks about the rod of iron. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the house, counsel of the Most High, or they despised the counsel of the Most High. They're in there of their own accord. They fell down, and there was none to help. And then the petition, verse number 13. And then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Isn't that an interesting thing? Somebody that got themselves in trouble. I'm not giving you a plan of attack. Oh, well, let's head down the road. Let's go do some things. You know, let's go sow some wild oats, and then then God will let me back any (laughs) time. You're not promised tomorrow. It's, It's not even funny when somebody, and you've got to live with the baggage of where you went. I was reading the, uh, I was reading a journal of Rachel Scott. She was, she was one of the ones at Columbine that got shot and, and killed. You remember Columbine. I think it was 1997. And her journals make me feel ashamed. But she, she's in high school and she was talking about a period of time when she got into smoking and she, she really wanted the cigarettes. I can step back and I can say, oh, well, I tried smoking, but every time I bought a pack, I quit. <laughs> but she was in church, her family, you know, was, and she was lying to her parents about it. But she said, I, I thought about those times. It was like an evil twin. I thought about those times. I'm out there in the parking lot and I'm freezing and I'm lighting that cigarette. I'm old enough to go back in time and remember in high school when we had the smoking circle, and I remember everybody out there could barely get that thing to their lips. <laughs> and they're all huddled around each other, and they're talking. You know? I, I was fortunate my mom smoked most of my time growing up. So anytime I bought a pack, I said, no, nah, I know where this goes. I quit. But she goes through all of that. 
and she learned some lessons. And she was talking to her friend, an older friend. And I guess she was telling her about those lessons that she learned because she came to a point and she, it was just eating her up so bad. And she confessed it to God and she went and told her parents what she'd been doing, that she'd been hiding it. And somebody would laugh at her. But she wanted to be close to God. Let me tell you how close she wanted to be to God. I wrote this in my Bible, and there's not a, there's, I got blank pages, but I got this one thing written in here. It's Rachel, I call it Rachel's song. She says, break me of my pride, O God, tear down my string of sins. This life of filth and worthlessness unto you I willingly give. Take it from me, all of it, do with it what you will. Take me and mold me, God, your foundation begin to build. Do you know many adults that would write that? My life has brought me only shame. Through it, your will be done. What once was sorrow and endless blame, now the start of things to come. My story, now a testimony, a thing nothing short of God. I keep his name forever holy for my life with his blood is bought. Shot to death April 20th, 1999 at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. They say, and there's some dispute between Cassie Bernal, Rachel Scott, that when Dylan got to her, might have been outside, I don't remember. She was known to be a Christian. And you got to imagine how much control Satan had over those two boys that day. And he looks at her, and it said, one of the other students said it, he looked at her. And he said, do you still love God? And she said, you know I do. And that's when he shot her dead. She stood for God's word. She stood. Her life was a testimony. That poem was written long before. My story, now a testimony. But she talked about that smoking and, and, and what it had done. And, and it really struck me when she said, like an evil twin. You know, we have that flesh and the spirit that battles, and that flesh will take over. You know, we're drawn away of our own lust, the Bible says, over in James. Uh, no man, let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God, because God tempteth no man. But every man is drawn away of his own lust. And she confessed, and, and she talked about the load that came off when she did that. And she was telling her friend about that. And you know what her friend said? She said, Rachel... You didn't learn anything that God couldn't have taught you some other way. So you think you go and sow your wild oats and you think, well, I'll get back to the Lord in time. And you, you look back and you say, well, I learned all kinds of lessons while I was over here. But there was you, you don't learn anything that God couldn't have shown you some other way. That's a thought. So they're bound in affliction. In the shadow of death, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down. There was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands asunder. God freed them. 
some you can you can really tell what took place in someone's heart when God releases them. And you can go straight to the physical sense where someone gets released from prison, where someone gets let out. They've turned their life over to the Lord while they're in prison. And when they get out, you watch them. Everybody else watches them. They talk about jailhouse conversions. I've been pleased to see a friend of mine who was in that dark spot, who turned to the Lord and who is still turning to the Lord every day of their life. That best thing I've ever seen to me, you know, at least I don't, I don't know how to say it. And, and you watch and you pray for them. When that happens, verse number 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. And then verse 17, Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. This is sickness. You have those that are in sickness and near death. These are times when people call out to God. And the Bible said this was of their own causing. It was of their own sin. It was because of their sin. Now, let's rightly divide. Because in the Old Testament, God had promised physical blessings. When they got out of God's will, they were physically, they they would become physically sick. And that's, that was the way it was with the Jews. I mean, when they saw the man who was lame, the disciples asked him, Master, who did sin, this man or his mother, this, his, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God may be manifest. And Jesus healed him. But there are those that are in sickness. There are those... It was, a, it was a family member of ours that had gotten caught up in sin. And he, he caught AIDS. And let me tell you something. God doesn't set all this up so that you can sin. It's kind of like when I was working for a fella. He said, I need you to drive in case there's an accident. Because the crew that he had working for him cutting grass... Well, let's just say their status was questionable. He said, I I need somebody that can drive, you know, in case there's an accident or something. When I got into an accident with his truck, the man said, I said, in case you get into an accident, not so you could get into an accident. (laughs) Felt bad about that ever since. That's the same way with the word of God. It's not so that we can sin. And then, well, with 1 John 1, 9, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not for that. But that forgiveness is there. If you've reached a spot, if you've reached the end, if you've looked up and you said, God, I know you're the only way. I'm at the end of myself. And you're down on your knees and there's nowhere to look but up. Every other avenue is cut off. Every other thing, and you look back and you say, I remember being close to God. How did I get this far? Lord, please help me. And you cry out. Isn't it a good thing to know that God will be there to pick up your hand, to wipe you off, and to say, come home. 
The story of the prodigal son is such a great story. And I got to keep qualifying. It's not so you can go out and do it and say, well, I'll get clean because you never get all the way clean. I mean, once you get a spot on the floor, on the white carpet, it's never really the same. It gets a little bleached out. It'll get cleaned up, but it's always there. All those things that you saw, all that thing that you suffered through, all of that is there to haunt you and haunt you and haunt you. And every time that you try to do right, every time you're on your knees in prayer, the devil pulls up a slideshow and he says, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? It's much better to go through life staying close to the Lord. Fools, because of their transgression and because their iniquities are afflicted, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. They can't even eat anymore, and they draw near unto the gates of death. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And what does he say? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Somebody that gets pulled out of that dark moment and gets further away and says, well, yeah, I kind of remember that, but I'm doing this now. Oh, that men would just turn to God and praise him for the works that he's done to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. It's something to humble yourself before God and give him praise. Give him, you know, sometimes it's easy and say, well, thank God for this. Thank God for that. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. You know, you got to say, well, you know, God did this. I didn't. This is my favorite one because I'm biased. Because I understand it. It says, they that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. I I spent six years in the Navy. I couldn't wait to get my ship. I was two years in school (laughs) on land, a sailor on land. That's just waiting for my ship. The one I got, it was, you know, Cold War era. It, it had been the first to go, but I was proud to get on that ship. I was so proud. I, when I went out to Norfolk, Virginia, and I was there waiting at the Marine base, and I'd, I'd sleeping in the afternoon and whatever, I'm just waiting for my ship to come back from its med cruise. I was looking forward to getting to go to the med cruise. You know, when I got that ship, it had been converted to a trainer, <laughs> and it never did another med cruise. All we did was cruise around the Caribbean. Somebody would say, Where you go? where'd you go? I said, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island, Puerto Rico, Guantanamo Bay. You think you can't go to Guantanamo? Yeah, there's a base there. Right next to Cuba, Guantanamo Bay. I did a lot of swimming in the Caribbean. Actually went through the Panama Canal. I think it was before we gave it away. But then go over into the Pacific and you say, oh, this is why it's here. Because it's pacified. Smooth, a lot different than the Atlantic. But you go out to sea, and, and there's something 
There's something about committing to something that's not part of your normal environment. I hope y'all got a little time. It's nice and toasty in here. I hope y'all got a few minutes with me because I'd really like to talk to you this morning. If you're nervous, I mean, if you get upset, you just leave. But it'll hurt my feelings. It'll, it'll cut me to the core. But I remember, um, I'm not even being sarcastic, but I remember in the Navy, I remember getting out of my first ship, and I was so proud to get out of my, I'd been waiting like two and a half years to get out of my first ship, and I get on there, I have a ship. That meant something to me. I mean, I grew up, grew up out here working on the dike. My grandfather lived on the dike. I saw those ships going in and out. I'm finally on my ship. But there's something about going out to sea. There's something about getting out of your comfort zone. There's something about, like, getting up in an airplane. And that's out of your comfort zone. I remember learning to scuba dive, and I, I never got qualified. But I remember in the swimming pool. We're a swimming pool, four foot. And, and there's this one part where we're sitting on the bottom. been swimming my whole life sitting on the bottom of the pool, but you're putting in your head that, okay, I'm deep underwater. And you're sitting there, and you have to take your mask off and clear it. Four feet of water. But you're thinking, well, I could be 30 feet down and have to do this. And as I'm watching people take their mask off, I'm like, there's a lot of good air up there. (laughs) There ain't any down here. (laughs) You can drown in two feet of water, but... I was sitting there, and when I had to take that mask off, you know, you can't see anything. And then when they made me hump my mask at the bottom of the pool, oh, my goodness. You know, back on the 12-foot side. (laughs) But when you do something like that, you're out of the safe area. When you leave the shore, you're in a whole different world. My first cruise out there, they they called it uh, Puke Fest. 92, I think, <laughs> because that first, that first weekend we were out, buddy, that ship's just, and you're, you're walking down that passageway, and it looks like the whole front of the ship's moving, you know, you could get on a ladder, and if you timed it right, you could be at the top of the ladder in one step. <laughs> if you timed it wrong, you, you'd think your arms are going to get pulled out of their socket. I mean, you got people walking around with bags on their hips so they can hang on, stay on watch, you know. I, I haven't had French toast since that day. But you get out there in the ocean and you look around. There's no land. It's a whole different world. And for the sailor in the ancient world, they didn't have GPS. They didn't even have charts. That sailor knew the land because he'd been out there before. I mean, he knew the sea. They didn't go far out. And especially for the, the Jewish people, they were land people. They say Solomon didn't even have a pleasure yacht. They didn't go out on the water for pleasure. They went out there to do business. And let me tell you what that's like. He says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in the great waters, these see the works of the Lord. Let me bring it back to you for a second. There's a comfort zone that you have. And you sit in that comfort zone, that bubble, and you're fine. You step out, you start to talk to somebody about the Lord, or, you, or God puts you out of your comfort zone, all of a sudden you're in a whole different area, and you begin to see God work. But it's not 
it's, it's not, uh, I don't want to say pleasant, but it takes you out of your comfort zone. But you see God work. We see missionaries that do it. We saw Drake, David Drake that came, sold just about everything he had so that he could go out on deputation, raise money to go overseas. You talk about going out of your comfort zone. He committed his life to the Lord. But you know what he gets out of that? He gets to see the Lord work. You step out of your comfort zone. If everything's got to be comfortable, you're sitting there, you get out of your comfort zone, you say, you know, there's a lot of good air up there. (laughs) I'd kind of like to go back. That's what the Jews did when they got out of Egypt. They got out of their comfort zone. They said, oh, it was better back in Egypt when we had the flesh pots. We didn't have to worry about the God, about the Lord providing for us. They'd feed us because if they didn't feed us, we couldn't work. Oh, that we could go back. It's, you shouldn't want to go back. But those that don't, they go down to the sea in ships. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You begin to see life from a whole different perspective. The sailor in ancient times would look down there and he would see the different colors in the water. He'd see the fish. I saw dolphins swimming in the wake of the ship or along the bow. And, uh, and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. You want to get an idea, read Job chapter 2. They were going through a storm and throwing things over the side. Read about Paul, I think, over there after Acts chapter 20. But uh, they reel to and fro and they stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. I can tell you out there on the sea, you get your sea legs. (laughs) They got to be a point where, where I could write. And my legs were like one of those uh, toys you get when you're a kid with a string. You could push the bottom and make him dance. And your legs, you wouldn't even realize it. After you've been out at sea a while, and you're just doing what you need to do. Get your sea legs. But they're out there. This is way more than they can handle. They stagger like a drunken man. They're trying to walk to the fore of the ship, and the ship is moving and moving and unpredictably on them. Let me tell you something in life. When you get out, to, when you go down to the sea in ships, you go down to the sea when you used to get out of your comfort zone, there's going to be some things that are unpredictable and they're going to cause you to stagger. There's going to be some things that knock you back. There's going to be some things that knock you down. But it says these see the, and they're at their wits end. Verse 28, the petition. And then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh calm the storm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them into their desired heaven. Something to notice about this. The first group, they were, they were homeless and hungry. It wasn't necessarily their fault. It might have been the sins of the people that had got them cast out. You know, God, God took the whole nation into captivity. It doesn't mean every one of them was wicked. But the nation as a whole was wicked. And the, and the other two, the ones in bondage and in shadow of death. By the way, Jesus is the light. I should have hit on that. But they're in the bondage, and the other ones are sick. Notice it's their fault they're in that situation. The only crime 
in this passage, they that go down to the sea in shifts is that they were doing business. You're going to be in storms whether you're in God's will or not. I just want to make sure you know that. When the disciples rode out, Jesus had told them to row to the other side. He was up there praying for them. They rode all night, and they couldn't. They kept getting pushed back. That's a bad feeling when you're on the water. I was out there snorkeling in Antigua one time, and my, my, my snorkel was leaking a little bit. And I said, well, I'm going to go back and get another. You know, we're just out there. Didn't think we were far out. And then one of my friends wanting to stay out there said, well, switch flippers with me. These were real good rental equipment, let me tell you. He said, well, switch flippers with me because this one's not so good. So I'm swimming back, and I'm toting a flipper. <laughs> I got a leaking mask, and I'm swimming back to shore. And there's one guy I didn't want to go out there with us, and he's sitting there on shore, and I'm watching, and it doesn't look like he's getting any closer. That's a, that's a bad feeling. <laughs> and you're by yourself, and everybody else, woo We were further away than we thought. So when he, he maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still, then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired heaven. There's nothing like coming home. There's nothing like coming home to God's house. There's nothing like coming home to God's will. Their desired haven. You see that shore and you've been out for a while, man, that looks good. You can smell the land when you've been out long enough. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. There's other parts there. But as far as those four groups... We see the ones that will cry out to God in their time of need. And I think we've been at one point or another. I think we're going to be there again as a nation. But has God spoken in your heart today? All this stuff that I pointed out. My prayer is God just send it home. And that you see people in a different light. See the soul, see the heart, see the person crying out to God. Open, ask God to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see them and be a help to them in that time of need. Maybe God, it may be that God will use you in that moment. There may be a time when you get away from God, you say, oh, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm where I'm at. There may be a time when you begin to drift. Just know that you can call out to God. It's not being hypocritical. It's actually being honest. If you'll stand.